The battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. We're done talking about things other than Blood Red Skies, and we're getting back to the focus of the podcast. Yes, we know you want to hear about tactics. No, we don't want to talk for three hours straight. But since we gave you a one-hour episode earlier in the month with tactics discussions, we're going to do a little bit of the same and hope to finish what we started, uh, talking about traits, doctrine cards, and theater cards. Tonight, Brett is joining us to continue his tactics discussions. Brett, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. And soon I may have a new house. We'll see. I'm going to be living in an apartment. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> Brett, the, the aviator who's living in a shoe, <laughs> the World War II pilot in a shoe. Well, we also brought Steve along to enjoy the discussion. Steve, how are you doing? Yeah, we're hanging in there. How's it going with you? Uh, not bad. Not bad. Good to have you back on the show. You know, I only mentioned any of that stuff about moving because I'm kind of pissed off. I mean, I'm happy that... Things are going well with the house, but I have had zero hobby time. And it's I've this had whole... zero hobby time. It's I know. terrible. It, yeah, it's... I, I know. Well, I'm also moving, and so I've had zero hobby time unless you count unboxing things I've bought that are not going to get painted. But hey, you know. <laughs> I was just pinging Steve today saying, man, we got to get off our asses on this campaign thing because, you know, we got to get this thing moving. Well, speaking of Steve getting off his ass, guess what I got in the mail today? I got a big box of laser cut foam. So nice work, Steve. That was awesome. Uh, hopefully by the time this episode hits, people will see more of the detailed photos and maybe an unboxing video on social media. Um, but I got to say, I was I was really, really impressed with it. There's some things we're going to tweak and that's fine. It always happens uh, first couple times you do production runs. But uh, I thought it was super cool. Steve, any, uh, any lessons learned or anything you want to tell uh, everybody else from learning how to do the foam? No, it's just, you know, like you said, first run, I think it got great. Uh, I've been using it, storing my own stuff in. You know, it's good to get it out there in the hands of some other people. But, uh, yeah, first run, I think it got great. We'll tweak a few things and uh, get it out there for everybody right in time for the holidays. Yeah, I really like the high-vis white foam on the bottom uh, because when you're more on like me and you don't put your airplanes back in the same spot in your carrying case, it's nice to look down and realize which ones you're missing. So uh, I think it's a pretty good design feature there. Uh, and, and it's nice to have different sizes of foam inside the same 12 by 12 carrying case that we have. So I've got some large sheets for like Spitfires, smaller sheets for the MIGs and Sabres. That's all going to work out well. Brett, you've got some of the foam too, don't you? No, I didn't get it yet, but uh, I think Steve said he was sending me some. And I was just, I just wanted to say that whole high vis thing, that's such a clever little thing. It seems like it's such a small thing, but man, when you look down and you realize, oh crap, I'm missing a plane. I think that's going to be awesome. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't remind me to tie my shoes. So those of us getting older and not being so smart, <laughs> we need memory aids. <laughs> well, I don't think anyone's bought anything new because I'm not sure anything new's actually come out other than the Jets I didn't buy for the, the P-80 Shooting Star and the uh, F-9 Panther. Uh, but uh, anyone else acquired anything uh, here recently for Blood Red Skies? I printed my first... Uh soon to be released Avengers. So I'm looking to get some paint on those. You kind of got me, got me going with that picture you posted on social media. So it look, going to look awesome. Yeah, I was, I was going to make a really off color comment and I won't say that, but uh, I was pretty happy to get my uh, greasy fingers, we'll call them on that uh, Avenger. So thanks to Rich sending uh, over one of the, uh, the prints of your design there. It's pretty cool. There's some other things I saw in there that I'm not allowed to talk about yet that Rich sent me. So I didn't realize that until I'd already filmed the unboxing video and I have to go back and refilm one where I remove a couple of those previews. Uh, but let me put it uh, this way. There are some pretty neat things coming out. There are some technological and technical limitations uh, that Rockworks is going to have to work through that, that if you buy them from them, you're going to have to understand there's some limitations there. Or if you print them yourself, uh, as you get some of the bigger airplanes, you're going to have to fix the wingtips or fix some wing droop or things like that just because of how big they are. And if you're printing them at home, 
you may only be printing one or of these aircraft at a time of these larger ones, but it's really cool to hold some of these uh, these aircraft that are not available from anyone else uh, in resin that uh, that Rich and the Rock team have produced. I didn't get any planes recently, but I did get some new decals. I got uh, the three the decals for the three last uh, cargo aircraft to fly into the pocket in Stalingrad, and there were three HE-111s that uh, I got the numbers from. A, now, now, the real question is, do you already have 111s to put those on, or are you I do. have to buy more 111s? Yeah, I have the 111s. I just needed the decals, and I sent over what little information I had to, to uh, Kevin at Miss Mini, and he got it all sorted, so it looks really good. And also grabbed some Gladiator decals while I was at it, because I figured, you know, once I finish doing all the 109s that ever flew over Malta, I should just go ahead and start doing, like, all the Gladiators and other RAF planes. Why not, right? Oh, good. I'll send you my Gladiators. You can do them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so... I'm going to spill the beans and some things I've seen recently. And, uh, well, if Andy wants to take me off his Christmas card list, then so be it. He can do that. Um, speaking of HE-111s, I've seen the cards and the data for the HE-111s in a, at least a pre-pressed form. Haven't seen the uh, the layouts yet. So those are coming. Uh, some more multi-engine aircraft uh, for the Luftwaffe. Uh, I got a huge dump of information uh, the other day looking at Italians. So uh, not a dramatic change for those of us who have seen the cards that are already out there. And, you know, thanks again to Martin Wilson for redoing my terrible art and uh, (laughs) making those Italian cards look better. Uh, If you don't have copies of of Martin's work, uh, please go over to our website, uh, leadpursuit.net, and click uh, on the expansions section and go to the aircraft cards. Uh, all of his cards are in there, ready for you to download and print, and they are nice. Uh, much better than what I could do with a crayon and MS Paint and whatever else I was using to do our cards. But I digress. Italians, they're coming. There's some aces coming with them. Uh, there's some some non-traditional aircraft getting aces. Uh, and the expansion pack is there, so so there's going to be some cool things with uh, with the Italians. Who knows how long it'll take, though. Are you saying I might be able to field some Fiat G55s maybe in the next DOE or something? Well, maybe. <laughs> we'll see if the cards make it out in time for uh, for the next GOE. I know Warlord's backed up, and if Midway is already set for an Easter release, I'll say that again, Easter 2021 uh, is what Andy said on his interview the other day. Um, yeah, I don't know when Italians are going to make it. Uh, there's other things I know that are in the pipeline before them. Uh, personally, I would rather see them dump some of those things and do this entire faction release, but there are competing efforts. I mean, we've got to finish all the early War Pacific. Then we've got to do late War Pacific with Hellcat, uh, with Avenger, with all those things. Um, so uh, Warlord's got a lot on their plate for Blood Red Skies. We'll see what actually makes it to fruition in the next year. Um, at least they've moved in their new facility, so that's no longer an excuse. <laughs> they, they should have plenty of production time and production space devoted to it. But uh, what I will say is, I mean, it's a zero-sum game. There's only so much resin work being done, only so much metal work being done. Uh, when you, you know, I guess fortunately or unfortunately, I move in a couple other game circles and was looking at some of their uh, their pre-production runs, or I guess I should say their production runs, ready to be sorted and put in blisters and everything. And that's a lot of metal and resin work. So that's that's eating up some time that could be Blood Red Skies models getting printed. So... Warlord just has to figure out what their priorities are and, and put it where they think they're going to make the most money, and that may or may not be Blood Red Skies, because we know they don't listen to us when it comes to making money. Okay, moving along. Well, we're going to go straight into tonight's tactics discussion. Uh, why is that? Well, it's so I can sit here and drink my beer and Brett can talk all the time, uh, instead of you having to listen to me. <laughs> so without further ado, Brett, I know we cut you off last time before you were finished. You could have talked for another two hours. Uh, let's pick up and talk about doctrine cards and then proceed through the rest of our notes. All right, good. So I'll just kind of ramble on and you just nudge me in the right direction as I kind of teeter off the reservation. But we did leave off with doctrine cards in our last conversation and, uh, doctrine cards kind of cool. I think most people listening know what doctrine cards are, but, uh, sometimes it's easy to get the number of cards that go in your deck kind of messed up because it's, the doctrine cards, the number you have in your deck is based on how many planes you have 
that you're fielding. So you always get one, right? Any, any number of planes that go on the table, you get at least one doctrine card. But uh, as your number of planes go up by six, you get another card. So, you know, if you have seven to 12 cards, you get or seven to 12 planes, you get two doctrine cards. You get six more planes on the table after that, you get another doctrine card and it just keeps going from there. So you could get quite a few doctrine cards in your deck if you're playing a big game. And all that stuff can be found in the Airstrike book, page 14. But um, Well, and refresh my memory, is that based on total airplanes or is that based on airplanes plus bombers or fighters only? Uh, because I, th- I think the good thing is when it become when you play it as total airplanes, then you get things like interlocking fire uh, and things that you can play on some of the bombers, right? Yeah, I think the way we've always played is just the number of planes you have total that have squadron cards assigned to right. them. So, yeah. Okay, good. We play in, you know, we play in a doctrine. I mean, geez, we play, Steve and I do, a campaign game, which we've mentioned several times. And there are times when extra planes get thrown on the table, but we don't count those towards... Like, we don't then go, hey, I get an extra Doctrine card. Because right, because that's, met that's that part threshold. of your uh, campaign system that kind of bumps things up. Yeah, those are just kind of freebies. But, uh, yeah, when we're in, in deployment, when we have all our planes set out, you know, that's when we, we build our, our deck and stuff at deployment. So that's where that's coming from, those numbers. So so it, it is interesting, not that I'm picking on a rules inconsistency here, but I just wanted to look and, and see how it was laid out uh, with – the with like scenario eight on page 62 of airstrike surprise attack where you have a you have free bombers as you do in some of the attack scenarios uh but here you do only have one doctrine card even though you're at nine total aircraft so you know i I think that's just something to discuss with the other people as you're playing you know what's the intent uh of those extra aircraft you're bringing and and does it does it bump you up and over the edge because um, you wouldn't want to give the fighters uh, too much advantage of too many fighter-based doctrines. But if you don't get to bump things up uh, and, and you have to get rid of escorts, in other, in, in other words, to get to bring bomber uh, cards, then that's not a whole lot of fun. Yeah, I suppose as long as you and the other person you're playing with you know, agree, it's all good because everybody gets the same advantage or disadvantage however you play it. But deployment cards are kind of interesting, and we've talked about this a little bit in our last episode many of the deployment cards play off trait cards and things can get pretty interesting then, right? We talked a lot in the last episode on tactics about how choosing doctrine cards that have some kind of bonus play with your trait cards often is a lot better than they might look just at face value. Bonus play. Sounds like something sort of that happens after hours in Key West. (laughs) (laughs) But when you say bonus play, you're referring to what we talked about last time, where you have the ability, you know, with these doctrine cards to play one of your trait cards and burn that trait card instead of the doctrine card. And uh, as we we talked about in some of the games uh, last week on uh, BGG at home, uh, get the effect of both cards at the same time. So obviously aggressive tactics, defensive tactics, things like that. It makes it pretty cool. Yeah, we've, we've joked a lot about how powerful uh, tight turn combined with aggressive tactics or, or defensive tactics can be. And, uh, you know, it might not be obvious in the beginning, but when you start seeing how those things play together, it makes a big difference in a game. Yeah, so, so I'm going to make the call now. And I think it's because people have not played the Italians a whole lot since the cards came out. I think the Italians are going to be everybody's new favorite in competitive gaming whenever they come out. 2021, 2022, uh, because of their points cost and their tight turn, and the only penalty you're really playing uh, is poor quality. So you get a cheaper airplane that has aggressive tactics. Uh, Some of them are firepower limited, but generally they are faster uh, and just as agile as their uh, allied contingents. Well, Chris is our resident Italians uh, collector, and (laughs) we we had that big game. I don't remember what model he had, but... We were kind of blown away. It was so such a good value. So he C-202s, and, and I, I wrote something back to Andy about it today as we were talking about a couple things, and I said, I think there's a sweet spot somewhere in the in the Machi series, and I don't know where it is, uh, between the 200, the 202, and the 205 for their point values, that there's a point where they feel, they may not be, they just feel under-costed, uh, but I think that's because we are so used to tight turn being a dominating aircraft trade out there. But that's getting us off of our doctrine talk. 
No, I agree with you, Doug. And we've talked about that before. That C202 at that at that cost that it's at right now, pre-release on the on the uh, master list that's floating around the ready room, that thing's going to be going to be deadly at that point cost. Yeah. Yeah. So so we'll see. I mean, uh, maybe people will show me how much uh, I, I don't know how to take advantage of poor quality. But if I can't get across the board fast enough and you climb back up, uh, then poor quality just kind of meh doesn't doesn't burn that much at the beginning. But anyway. Well, you get an ace in there with the right stuff card. And, right. Uh, <laughs> maybe yeah. that some of that doesn't matter as much. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Roger Garish recently uh, posted something to that effect on a ready room rant we had that was prompted by a, a video I posted about the DO335, or 355, I guess it is, or 335. Forgive me there. 335, but, um, yes. Yeah, just a cool airplane, right? But then that prompted all kinds of discussions. It's kind of relevant what we're talking about now about, you know, what would the stats be and how would you play that? Would that go with this? Would that go with that? And, you know, it, anyway, that's why I mentioned that the Fiat G55 earlier in our intro is because uh, if I don't, if I'm not sure, but I think on the master list, that thing has maybe great climb and tight turn and it might be cheap. I don't know. It's, it's something that deserves another look. I, but that's why all this talk is relevant, right? This whole talk about traits and all the other cards is because this is what happens. You start making a list of how you want to play, perhaps in a tournament or a pickup game with your buddies. And you start thinking about, oh man, well, if I do this aircraft with these traits and I combine it with this doctrine card, I might be able to play this kind of way. And stuff gets kind of fun that way. Yeah. And just for those who don't know the, uh, the G55 is a tight turn and great climb aircraft. So, yes, you can play the Blue Falcon list or you can play the tight turn uh, strategy. And it's only 37 points. It's a 228 airplane, so firepower to agility to speed eight. Uh, so I, th- I think that's going to gonna be an interesting aircraft to see in the tournament scene. Yeah, that, that could be pretty cheap because I think a BF109F is, isn't it? 30 some points, 32 points, it I think. should be 36, but let 36, me check here. Okay. These, I, I, I used I to have all those this. numbers memorized and I don't anymore. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. interesting because the, uh, the yeah, one, sorry, nine, 190E is 31 and an F with great climbing, great dive is 36. So the F is the closest thing to it. Um, actually, sorry, the G is actually a 228. So if you look at the 109G, it's a 228 with dive and climb and it's 37 points as well. So um, that's a value. Kind of an interesting thought. The Spit 9 is actually a 822 with tight turn and great climb at 37. So it's actually, I think the Spit 9 is the, is the same thing as the G55. Yeah, it pretty much, it pretty much is in a lot of ways. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a short list of planes that are kind of on my mind based on what we're talking about right now. This combination of trait cards and the natural, I mean, the natural trait cards and then the doctrine cards that might play well with that. I mean, I don't know much about like a KI-84 or a Yak-9U or the LA-7, but I think they have some potential. I mean, they at least deserve another look for the way I play anyway. Like I'm trying to remember, Did you didn't bring Spit 9s, uh, Steve, in your tournament list, did you? I did not. Uh, I went with the Spit 5s, but it was really, it was a tough decision, and the only reason I did again plays back into Brett's point if we'd ever let him talk uh, exactly. is that I wanted those you know when you split up your trait cards then you can't pair that tight turn as the bonus over and over again so you know right. again it was balancing that trait card versus doctrine card kind of dance that you're always doing right you, you said something last time last episode Steve that kind of intrigued me I went back and re-listened to the episode before today and um you know, all the planes, because I, I collect Luftwaffe, so I'm playing 109s, right? And I'm just accustomed to having two traits per aircraft. It's that way for my 110s as well. But you prefer to have aircraft that have a single trait. Explain again why that may be an advantage, having just a single trait. You never run out of cards, right? Yeah, especially when you're playing, uh, especially in an open deck tournament setting, it allows you to continually play those doctrine or theater cards that have a bonus and retain that card because you always have the bonus card to use with it. Whereas with the two trait plane, 
when you are splitting up your uh, trait cards by half, then it kind of uh, limits when you're picking and choosing to use those those doctrine cards. It's funny you say that because in the when we played at Gathering of Eagles for the tournament, I had my best game against an opponent who had also two trait cards, and I was playing a denial list, so it was easier for me to shut them down. Uh, probably my worst game was against a horde list that had a single trait, uh, and, and there were mistakes I made in that game too. But it was much harder to shut things off when you know he had an infinite, seemingly infinite, infinite number of trait cards to just keep doing it over and over and over again. So that's a good point. There's a couple of um, examples of uh, you know how these deployment cards are played because they play differently, right? There's different types of deployment cards. Some of them are played during deployment. Uh, that's pretty typical. Uh, there's, um, I think, uh, outnumbered, loose echelons, swarm flying, intruders, and mobile front. Those are all deployment cards that are played during deployment. But then, you know, others, like we've mentioned, and there's too many to list, but there are other deployment cards that just stay in your deck and you play off of bonus cards potentially. Right. So, so doctrine cards that you play at deployment, um, but are, you know, but, but don't have no further use. So they're almost like a theater card in some ways, so like mobile front, uh, where, uh, everybody starts with one boom chip when you play that during deployment. And that's a doctrine card, uh, ironically, <laughs> rather than a theater card. Uh, or Swarm Flying, um, which allows people that are in elements of four to automatically be neutral uh, instead of having to roll for advantage. There's a, you know, I mentioned last time, last episode, that there's that historical doctrine card chart in the Airstrike book, which, you know, tries to kind of compartmentalize the different Air Forces and times of the war or constrain you uh you blue falcon people <laughs> yeah right right so well, no that's a good point because so when um when steve and i are playing our campaign and we're in battle of britain i'm not you know luftwaffe doesn't even have access to low altitude performance a low altitude performance was a key part of my whole blue falcon list at, at uh, gathering of eagles so and that's part of what prompted this whole discussion is just it was just so much you know because I, I play on both I guess both ways. Right. And I was kind of pretty familiar with playing several games in this campaign setting, but then got to take the wheels off and go do whatever I wanted at gathering of Eagles within some limits and uh, got to try things that, you know, if I was playing strictly narrative historical, I'd never get the chance to do. And uh, man, it was super fun. Right. It just opens up all new combinations and stuff. And uh, of course you can play however you want. uh, But that kind of like free, you know, free play, you know, forget the historical narrative thing and put your list together. That's super fun too, right? And uh, yeah, well, and it's funny now that I look at it, I guess I had forgotten that for the Germans, they never get low altitude performance. They get high altitude performance and high altitude performance and, and they never get it. They get, you know, sustained dive and a couple of the other ones and dive away. Um, but only the Soviets get low altitude performance. And so it's kind of interesting uh, for a aircraft that so many of their aircraft have great dive um, and then they don't have that low altitude performance. Likewise, it's kind of funny. The, uh, the Americans never get it. And there's a number of, of aircraft with great dive, much to uh, Steve's chagrin. <laughs> you know, I, I can't think of the plane right now. It might be, I guess it would be something that has great climb and rapid roll could potentially have high altitude performance and low altitude performance. And that could get interesting. I don't know what that would be. Maybe like a Romanian plane or something, maybe a Japanese plane. I don't know. I have to go back and look, but just, you know, this the idea is kind of neat because you could kind of go different ways with that. So yeah, I'm laughing here and Steve and I've had this discussion a million times. Every single aircraft, except like the P 39 and the P 63 has great dive yet. For the Americans, uh, their great dive ones are dive away and sustained dive. And I, th- I think slashing attack is also a great dive uh, bonus uh, doctrine card. I'd have to go check it, which I'm spinning the scroll wheel mightily to do. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, so let me see here. Dive away obviously is slashing attack is as is sustained dive. So 
uh, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting the things they don't have access to because they certainly don't have low altitude tactics. So you can see how if you low altitude performance, I should say. Yeah, if you weren't using it, if you weren't just stuck to the historical doctrine chart, you could have even more crazy combos or whatever. So oh, yeah. you know, it's yeah, all absolutely. it's all good. The uh, you know, um, we talked last episode about how the bonus cards work. So you burn. So a good example would be, uh, let's see, we were talking earlier about great dive and low altitude performance. Uh, if you were playing on a historical chart, that would probably be some Russian aircraft that I don't have familiarity with. If you're just playing like a gathering of eagles thing and you're playing the denial list and yeah, low altitude performance with a BF 109F, do that all day. It has great dive and you got your low altitude performance. So it's a bonus card. It makes, it makes the great dive a bonus card that you could use to do the effect of great dive in combination with the effect that comes from that doctrine card, low altitude performance. But instead of then uh, burning your doctrine card, which is, you know, more powerful, you burn the um, great dive card, which you would presumably have far more of in your hand because you get one for every, or depending on the type of aircraft, you may have as many as one for every aircraft that you fielded. In my case, with the BF-109F, I have one for every two because I have to split the cards because it's a two-trade aircraft. But you can see how burning that bonus is a lot is, is a handy thing to do. All right. Well, let's let's talk about that. So, so let's say you had low altitude performance, and I'm going to dig to my Russian aircraft list here and see if I can find somebody uh, with great dive, and I can't. This is funny. Okay. It's like a PE-3 has it. Uh, I know somebody else besides that's got to have great dive. Okay, they don't. <laughs> I'm going to use an American. Hey, we're playing an American aircraft in a tournament here. So if you are that F-6 Hellcat and you are disadvantaged, and so you play low altitude performance and a bonus of great dive, now that brings you up to being neutral, and you can do whatever you want. You don't have to burn advantage again. But if you did burn advantage again, you're also getting great dive. So instead of diving 14 inches, you're diving 16 inches as you've start, done your activation as a disadvantaged aircraft. That's pretty darn powerful for at least either getting out of dodge uh, or, or, or taking yourself to some point where you can change uh, the advantage of what's going on by threatening somebody climbing back up to uh, to at least neutral after your uh, after you've done that dive. Now, see, what I really want is to be able to combine that with tight turn, but I don't think there's an aircraft out there that has great dive and tight turn. <laughs> I think but we keep suggesting them, but... Uh... <laughs> maybe, maybe is there somebody out there that has great dive and rapid roll? It so might... there, are, there are a couple of those, uh, and I'm trying to go back through my... Um, I wish I could sort this, but I can't. Uh, so I think that's on one of the Romanian airplanes or something that I'm not used to the, looking the, at. The IAR the I A R A D C comes to mind. I, I don't. Yeah, have rapid it. roll and great dive. So yes, so the IAR A D C has it. Seven two two thirty one points. Rapid roll and great dive. I think that's a pretty sporty thirty one points. Maybe I should be playing those in uh, in tournament lists when right? they come out. <laughs> so imagine using that in the example we were just using. Right. Let's say you have low altitude performance. Right. And you get that situation where you get tailed, right? Uh, if you survive that tailing, right? You don't get shot down, but you're still disadvantaged. Your next activation, you get to uh, immediately go to neutral. You could choose to turn 45 and then dive like crazy <laughs> 16 inches away. That's, that seems pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I was thinking of actually the possibility. So, so the joke of it is, you could play on an aircraft that like the IR eighty. You could play low altitude performance with a rapid roll card, and you could, yes, wait for it, wait for it. You could turn forty five degrees from from disadvantage forty five degrees. Do your uh, do your dive uh, of now 15 uh sorry 13 inches or if you didn't want to start with that turn you just play great dive and low out to performance come back up dive and now you dive 14 inches 
Uh, I think the turn 45 and, and dive 13 is probably better because it's going to force the uh, the other aircraft to overshoot. He's just not going to follow you to a tailing position. He just They can't without right. burning advantage. You see, that's all with me not knowing what the speed is. I don't know the inherent traits and you know, speed and agility. Yeah, I'm cheating. I'm, I'm looking at the master aircraft list, so thank you, Andy, for letting Ken publish that in the uh, ready room. Now I have all my gouge for the, <laughs> the show right in front of me. Right. So that, that sounds pretty good. That's something I can't do with a 109. Yeah, there's options. I mean, just it gives you two different options that you just don't have in a 109. In a 109, you're going to do great dive and you're going to dive and you're going to go straight ahead. Uh, not so much with the IR-80. The, the thing I really liked about low altitude performance with the 109 was, well, 109F anyway, it's standard move at eight. So when I get the great dive, I get to go 16. That's a hell of a long way away. And it, you know, one, it denied somebody thinking they were going to get a shot on me, but then I'd get far enough away that in my next turn, I could maneuver and be coming back into the fur ball, right? From a, from a crazy direction. So it seemed like all my aircraft would kind of get close to the fight. Something might happen. I might get a couple shots on if it didn't go my way, maybe somebody gets on my tail, but then I get out of Dodge and then come back on my terms, which that felt like the most sort of slashing attack kind of feel in a game I've ever had was playing that combination. When I play in, um, in our campaign games, it doesn't often feel quite like that, uh, which brings up a whole other thing. You know, learning it, we were talking about it before the show a little bit about slashing attack. That's not a a doctrine that I'm super familiar with, but I think if you pair that with, I think it's rapid roll, right? Let you or no great dive, yeah, great dive or with rapid both roll. either one. Yep, great yeah, dive yeah. or rapid roll. So that that would be one of those ones where you could, if you have an aircraft that has great dive, you could dive a long way to get close to somebody. And then if you're able to shoot at them and you get a hit, it's automatically a critical hit. So that, you know, think about if, if you have this idea that you have this play style where you want to be able to take advantage of somebody slipping and they're maybe far away, but you've got a plane that's maybe speed eight or faster, you could get way down range and shoot somebody and make it potentially hurt. Even Well, if I, I think the reason most people don't play that card is they end up in very head-to-head or forward quarter kind of scenario one games where it doesn't do you any good because the enemy's probably advantaged. You're probably having to use that slashing attack to dive from advantage to neutral and and shoot a guy who's disadvantaged who just got a terrible start. <laughs> yeah, but, you, you had to get somebody sense. slip in for that. To yeah, work. well, no, so it makes sense though with, with, like you say, something that moves eight. Now you play that with great dive. You're moving, you know, you have to start 18 inches away the poor dude rolls a, a one and starts disadvantaged a one or two, um, and now you play slashing attack with uh, great dive, and and that allows you to then get that bonus of any hit automatically becomes a critical on a poor dude who's down there uh, wallowing in the dirt anyway, where any any uh, undodged hit uh, is going to shoot him down. So I, I think that can that can play well to a really aggressive start. Yeah, something to think about too. If those Italians come into play, and you're you know you're going to be playing somebody that has that poor quality trait, right? Talking about pouncing on them, right? Well, I, I think you have to. I think if if you're concerned about an opponent having poor quality, if you don't want that point differential to work out not in your favor, because that card once again after the first turn doesn't matter, uh, then you have to take advantage of being a maximum of 18 inches away and making that aircraft pay for having. Uh, for, for starting off with odds of being at a lower advantage level. Now, what you know, what I will say is, what happens if he rolls all sixes? Well, guess what? Now you've got a slashing attack type thing set up, but you've got to figure out some other way to knock dudes out of advantage. So um, you just got to be careful about putting all your eggs in, in one attack basket, I guess. I was thinking about this. If you have an aircraft that has great dive and rapid roll, and you get, if you have two doctrine cards and you have slashing attack and aggressive tactics, uh, that's sort of the opposite of the denial list. So you can get in there and you could really get in there and do the Lord's work. I think there's some potential well, there. And, and I, th- I think that rapid roll um, sometimes is more powerful on with aggressive tactics than tight turn is. Because when you think about it with tight turn, Sure, aggressive tactics gives you that immediate 45-degree turn, and then you have another 45-degree turn you can use with the tight turn cards you spent. But with rapid roll, those two stack. You make 145 degrees before you start your movement phase, then you make another 45 at the start of movement with rapid roll. So you make a 90-degree turn. So 
in effect, somebody that thinks they are safe from from you being able to influence them, you make a 90-degree turn, you're probably, probably not in a position to tail them, but you're definitely in a position to shoot somebody that thought, okay, I, I'm... I'm in their side arc. I'm disadvantaged or neutral. He's advantaged. There's no way he can fly over here, a min move of, you know, three, four inches, whatever, uh, and shoot me. Oh, oh yes, yes, he can. <laughs> yeah, all this makes me want to go back and look at the master list and find planes that have great dive and rapid roll. I know there's got to be one out there. So that could be interesting. This makes me want to play on tabletop sim more, but you know what? <laughs> I need to uh, need to find time to do all my hobby stuff besides just playing on tabletop sim. Which paid paid political advertisement here for the the team over at Board Game Geek. Thank you for hosting a really big online event, and thank you for letting uh, the Lead Pursuit podcast work in there with everybody else to host some TTS games. Because uh, I think we corrupted about four or five more people to start the hobby, so I don't feel so bad in my resin addiction. Well, Steve and I have played a bunch of games, a bunch of campaign games for um, early war so far. And do you have any favorite RAF or, or allied doctrine cards, Steve? That you find you rely on or do you really like a lot? Uh, you know what? I th- think I'm always, I'm looking at the list of them right here. I've always been, because in the campaign we also have, uh, we got to remind people that we play you have to lock in a doctrine card for a time period of the campaign. So one of your doctrine cards you're always locking in. Yeah, two of them, actually. We lock in two. Well, two of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I uh, I always lock in outnumbered just because I think it's a good one to kind of uh, have there. And I guess outnumbered. I'm trying to get the exact text off of the card here. Uh, outnumbered, I believe makes your opponent if they have more planes than you they have to remove one plane off of the battlefield so i feel like it's a good uh no you're you're thinking about um the uh numbers and uh not numbers uh there's a uh, restricted airfields is what you're thinking of so outnumbered is where you ignore the first boom chit because that's it that's um you know once as long as you're outnumbered by the enemy yeah, outnumbered. I'm, I just found it. Yeah, so outnumbered is the one that you uh, you always ignore the first boom shit, and the other one that I tend to take uh, all the time is that defensive tactics card, uh, and just that defensive tactics card when you're playing RAF and you have uh, a plane that can combine that with tight turn, and turning pretty much every attack that somebody makes on you into a deflection shot is just super super powerful that card's brutal i mean i was gonna say why why if you had the choice and i know you're constrained by uh the uh the the doctrine master list that you guys are using out of airstrike uh, but would you choose aggressive over defensive if you only had one of those the standard you know competitive spitfire player uh what would you recommend they choose Man, that's tough. I tend to always choose defensive tactics. Yeah, but you're um, a milk toast. You're kind of a pushover, you're, so we you're expect right, that. You're right. <laughs> no, I t- yeah, I know. I mean, you know, Mister, I always do the minimum move, and I always, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, I exactly. But uh, I, uh, I like defensive tactics because I actually find that I can almost fly more aggressively, knowing that if I put myself in a bad position. I kind of have that get out of jail free card. Or if I'm feeling really sporty, it doesn't always have to turn it into a deflection shot. You can take that shot and turn it into a head-on shot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So you can uh, – aggressive tactics, I feel, is is pretty much a one-way use, right? You can use it to set up that tailing solution where defensive tactics uh, – you know, I've already had times where I need one more boom shit to end the game and that guy flies in and he has he's trying to take that cheap deflection shot on me and, you know, you turn it into a head-on shot and all of a sudden it's like, man, son of a bitch, now you're shooting back, you know? So it's just defensive tactics I feel is, is more versatile than aggressive tactics. I find in my games I usually have uh, – kind of a flurry of I'll get in great position with a whole swarm of guys on one or two, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like they pounce on one plane that's disadvantaged or whatever. And 
if it goes my way, I'm going to shoot somebody down. But a lot of times, you know, I don't know. It just doesn't happen. Like, you know, even though I have like, it's happened so many times where I have three or four planes that have the chance to shoot this one guy down and it doesn't work. And I got to fly the heck away, like dive away kind of thing. But um, the odds of me getting, taking advantage of that big swarm of guys going in to take advantage of some guy that's tailing Charlie is even harder when the guy can turn it into a deflection shot or whatever. So that, that, that is having that played on me like that, even when I have a really good game or I'm getting really great positions and stuff, but then that, that defensive tactics can be played. It's a heartbreaker. Sometimes I've certainly lost games because of that card. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about theater and equipment cards and other things you haven't thought of. And we're back. So, Brett, we've been talking about Doctrine cards, but there's there's a card that outnumbers your Doctrine card usually in these small games. There's the theater cards, and you get two of those suckers. So let's talk about theater cards a little bit. Yeah, theater cards are pretty cool and uh, really are fun when you're playing a campaign or something. You, there's a historic theater card chart, just like there is a historic Doctrine card chart in Airstrike, and that helps you kind of maybe craft a narrative for that game that is uh you know kind of in keeping with maybe some of the things that actually happened in that time period in the in the war if you will uh, oh yeah and I, th I think that's what people have to understand is if you have come to this game looking for something competitive and you are playing right out of the box those theater cards are meant to give a narrative flair and some of them are overpowered <laughs> and some of them are meant to make you have to fight an uphill battle uh, like the numbers card uh, and some of the others. So I, th I think there's a point where people have to realize um, that you should be having fun with you and your opponent's choice of theater cards. Uh, you, you shouldn't worry too much if it makes it uh, a more difficult or easier game. One of the interesting things about the theater cards is they also include your weather cards. So besides things that are unique to the particular battlefield or the time period for the faction it also is where you find all your weather effects and you always have two theater cards unlike doctrine cards you don't get more theater cards the more planes you have you just get the two so choose wisely uh and, well I, uh, I was gonna say along with that there's there's not a prescribed breakdown at least in airstrike as to how many whether they have to be one weather and one other kind or or as we've broken down in, in some of the u.s competitive rules We've categorized them as there's cards that award boom chits, there's cards that change initial positioning, um, but but you really you could pick two weather cards if you want, or you could you know I don't think anyone necessarily has an option to hold bo two boom chit cards, but you could pick a give a boom chit and a and a get rid of a boom chit card if you wanted to. Yeah, we do something kind of interesting in our campaign, so we separate the weather cards out, so we come to the board, uh, come to the table after having made our list and stuff with our doctrine cards or theater cards and knowing what our, the rest of our deck looks like. But then we roll for weather and determine the, the weather sort of, I mean, the weather roll determines which card gets pulled. Uh, and interesting things can happen with that, you know, cause then all of a sudden you could get like a bad weather card or a you yeah. know, down drafts or something. Well, well, and I think there's something to be said for if you wanted to keep things somewhat balanced uh, in even a friendly game, you ought to say, okay, at least one of your theater cards should be weather-related. Um, but then that gets into the interesting uh, combinations, Brett, like you kind of did competitively, where you're like, I am going to deny the other player clouds, and I'm not even going to put any clouds out if it tells me I have to. <laughs> yeah, you could play some pretty cool things with, with clouds. And, you know, if you've never looked hard at the weather cards that are in that theater stack, which is easy to do. Cause I think a lot of time when you're playing, you're like, Ooh, man, superior armament. That sounds good. I want to do that. Cause I could shoot or, you know, 
let me get this card that lets me immediately apply a boom chit. You kind of forget about the weather cards. But if you take a look at those weather cards, some of them are pretty cool and really dramatically change the way you play clouds. So, you know, you've played the game, you know how the standard cloud, you know, mechanic works. All that is totally changed with some of these cards. Things like downdrafts. Uh, let me see, I've got the downdrafts card kind of here. That's a good example. If a, if a plane activates in a cloud, it crashes if it doesn't move out of its out of the cloud in the next activation and it's disadvantaged when it leaves the cloud. So an entirely different way that clouds work if you're playing downdrafts on your opponent. Yes, Air Commodore Atchison, that card is designed for you <laughs> and your yaks in the cloud. Yeah, I really liked how we did it in the Gathering of Eagles. You had, you know, that short list of, uh, of, uh, theater cards at each table and they were different at each table. So you had to really choose, okay, which one am I going to use? And, uh, it made you make some hard choices, but you, know, you had a mix, you had a good mix of, uh, weather cards and other things. So yeah, you could, you yeah, can we'll make we'll clouds how, painful. We'll see how that stands up to the test of time. Hopefully it does <laughs> that, that way of doing business. I, you know, I'm just kind of looking at the, the list here. I think restricted airfields, battle fatigue, superior armament, poorly trained opponents. Those are ones that come to mind as being ones I see played frequently. Uh, what do you think, Steve? Do you have any go-to favorites for theater cards? Yeah. Big, big fan of battle fatigue. Uh, the, you know, anytime uh, your opponent's taking a maneuver test, they roll one less dice. Uh, big fan of superior armament. And like I said, big fan of uh, poorly trained opponents. Those are pretty much the three that I look at. Uh, I think, like you said, a lot of them are just fun cards to play uh, that can really unbalance the game, right? But they're just fun, and they have that historical narrative, and they're neat. Uh, but as far as uh, more cards that are more fair to play if you're really looking to have a competitive game, uh, I think Battle Fatigue, Superior Armament uh, are probably the two that are fair and kind of give you a little variety in how you can play your squadron. Poorly trained opponents is awesome if you're really going for that, you know, blue falcon list. That's a good way to polish well, that off. <laughs> it, it is. And and we actually came up with a question that uh, we'll have to put out to the ready room and see what people think. Uh, the way the rules are written, they say each aircraft can normally gain the benefit of only a single action card per turn. Uh, as explained in the Blood Red Skies, you know, uh, expansion chapter are ace and the doctrine bonus cards. So... We ran into a point of you can't play two trait or two uh, theater cards on an opponent at the same time because it sure would be fun to play poorly trained opponents and battle fatigue. So make them roll for a uh, take a pilot skill test to do a pilot action and you take a die from them when they do that. Um, I think that's pretty funny. Uh, that's a pretty cool combo. But I think the goal is you shouldn't be playing in one in one phase on one enemy aircraft uh, both your theater cards in your hand. Unless your enemy's supposed to really, really, really suck. <laughs> I think early on, I probably used supply shortages a lot in our campaign games, which is always kind of, you know, like, oh man, starting out the game with the down a boom shit. Is it, is it a, um, a theater card, Steve, that you frequently use that makes me send one plane home? I'm looking through them right now. I don't, is that numbers maybe? No, numbers gives you a plane. Usually it's restricted airfields is the restricted one that makes airfields. it. Oh, that's it. Like that's it. Yeah. Steve plays that on me a lot. I, I seem like, seems like the last several games I've had to send a guy home. <laughs> I'm kind of counting on it most games. I do. And you know what's funny about that? That's just one that is coming up uh, historically in the time frame of the scenario that we're in right now. So I've actually been kind of making my lists where I might be able to add another plane, but I've been intentionally not adding a plane so I could play that restricted airfields cards. But actually, I think we're one game away, and then that actually comes off of my historical theater card list that I can use. Yeah, that's one of the cool things about in the campaign setting. We're pretty strict about sticking with the, um, the historical doctrine card table and the historical theater card table. So it's fun, and it you know, it, it gives it, it puts us in our little box, if you will, for our for our collection. But uh, it changes in, as time goes on. And the other thing Steve mentioned it earlier in our games, we commit 
to in our in our campaign games that we play together, we commit to uh, two doctrine cards for a minimum of four games, which represents four months of game of the war, if you will. And uh, that's been a lot of fun too, because you have to make some hard choices, and it also makes it kind of fun because it's forced me to try things out and kind of stick it out. Uh, I think when I first started, at least with my doctrine cards, uh, those are the ones you have to stick with in our game. I just kind of going back to doctrine cards to to mention this that um, you know I, I was playing different cards, and then I started to realize the importance of playing cards that maybe had a were a bonus with great dive. And so I started trying other cards I hadn't tried before and, and having that little rule we gave ourselves about sticking it out for those four, four games before we switched to different doctrine cards, I think made me a little bit better player because I was trying things longer to really learn how they work and develop a way of play that I wouldn't, if I was just every single game switching cards, um, on that, sometimes we have big enough games where we have more than just the two. Sometimes we have three, uh, doctrine cards and the way we play is anything beyond those two fixed cards is you could pick whatever you want in that as long as it's on the historical doctrine chart but like the historical doctrine chart there's a historical theater chart and it's just fun if you're playing campaign and you're looking for a narrative it's all crafted there for you you just go to that chart and pick the stuff and it kind of puts you in that place it's it's a good time Okay, well, let's move on to equipment cards. So how does how do equipment cards work in Blood Red Skies? Man, equipment cards usually work like this. You build your list with all your planes and your aces and all that, and you're, you're trying to hit a certain point limit, and then you don't have enough points left over for the Malcolm Hood. That's been my experience. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, so why does Malcolm Hood have a point cost? Because some of the equipment cards don't have a point cost. Well, some of the some of the equipment cards are just really powerful and, and let your aircraft do some pretty cool stuff. Now, there's plenty of free ones, right? Like uh, I think we talked about it in the last episode. Trevor brought up how you always bring drop tanks. If you don't have enough points for an equipment card, you must always bring drop tanks because drop tanks are free and you basically ignore a boom chit, right? Because somebody's trying to put a boom chit on you with their card deck, you ignore, ignore one. So always take that. But uh, the equipment cards do different things, like maybe make your airplanes faster for the purposes of um, who goes first. Uh, some of them give you, you know, greater firepower performance. I think in our campaign games, a lot of times we'll do things like um, I know I think Steve's done this before, where he'll do rockets or something. I know I've done it before. If I if I'm doing a a defense mission, uh, let's see, if I'm the defender in scenario seven, he's coming in with a bunch of bombers. I'll put rockets on my BF-110s and use them to hunt bombers. And it just makes them, their, their first shot super powerful because I think rockets doubles your firepower in your first shot. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, so rockets is pretty interesting. And it's obviously, it's designed for air-to-air rockets. Uh, it's not cheap. It's 15 points. But uh, your aircraft that are designated as having rockets have twice their firepower. They lose one speed and, and one maneuverability. But... Uh, you're probably not taking any agility tests uh, or any maneuver tests when you're carrying rockets like that. But, but you know, it's interesting because there's, there's some of them that cost, like polished performance costs, and it gives you some more speed. Uh, drop tanks does not and allows you to get rid of that first uh, boom chit uh, during deployment um, and makes you slower on turn one. Uh, there, so there's a, a lot of different things you can do. There's, uh, and they also sometimes fall into kind of thematic things like, you know, for five points, you can put tropical filters on there. Uh, that becomes an interesting argument when you do uh, tournament play as to some people will want to buy tropical filters, some will not. You know, once again, it uh, it allows you to uh, disregard the modifier for tropical conditions. So what, there's, what, there's reasons for both. During I mentioned Malcolm Hood during Gathering of Eagles. You know, I was trying to make the ideal denial list and I wanted Malcolm Hood so bad I almost switched my list to uh, BF 109 East just so I'd have the points to be able to run the Malcolm Hood because it um, you know if you're trying to be outmaneuvered it adds plus one to your pilot skill so it's harder for them to outmaneuver you and I thought oh that'd just be uh, just another nice denial thing but I just didn't have the points for it with the F's and I didn't run it but that's where I was saying like you don't have enough points to do it that was my experience at Gathering of Eagles so yeah uh I wish there were more. I think there's a lot of room for more um, 
equipment cards. And it's cool to see if you go to the Lead Pursuit Part Podcast website, we have some cards up there, including, wait for it, a bunch of unofficial equipment cards. And I want to try to convince Steve to let us start incorporating those into our campaign play because we haven't used those yet. And I sh- there's some on, some on that list that I have my eye on, I think would be fun. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I uh, haven't looked through them, but I've been getting sick of shot down by rockets all the time from those 110s, so uh, I'm a little salty about those still. (laughs) All right, well, let's talk a little bit. Uh, We've spent some time talking about matching your aircraft uh, trait cards with your theater cards, with your doctrine cards. Uh, We haven't really talked about ace skill cards uh, but for someone who's starting the game, where do you get all these different cards? I mean, obviously you're going to get some in the starter set, but uh, where are the rest of these really cool things? Well, if you can ever get your hand on a starter set, of course, there's going to be some. There's 17 of them on Amazon. Everybody go run, panic, buy them like toilet paper because they're running out. <laughs> yeah, you get, a, you get a fair number in the starter set. Uh, there is a bunch in the back of Airstrike. So if you purchase Airstrike, there's a bunch of stuff added to that that um, can be printed for play and uh, including a bunch of the cards. So that's always a good source. There's, um, you know, squadron boxes uh, generally have uh, aircraft trait cards in them, right? So you get a bunch of airplanes, you get some trait cards. And usually in the squadron box, I don't know if this is a standard formula for every squadron box, but kind of going off, I haven't purchased the last squadron box I bought was BF 109 G's. So not terribly recently, but I'm pretty sure I got an ACE card in there and maybe a doctrine card, possibly a theater card. And then all, all the trait cards were in there. Am I wrong on that? Is it, is it not a standard formula for what you get in a squadron card squadron box? Uh, I'll tell you at least reviewing the next couple things that are coming out. It doesn't seem to be a standard formula, but you get a good mix. So generally you'll get some doctrine card that ties to one of your aircraft traits uh, you might get an equipment card, but those things are really reserved for the expansion packs. And then in the expansion pack, you get that big glut of, you know, here's a bunch of equipment cards, here's a bunch of theater cards, here's some doctrine cards uh, that really expand what you can do with that force, plus all the traits of all the six or so new aircraft that you got in that expansion. Right. And then the ace cards, I think, are just are in there as well. I, I, that's where I, I wasn't sure if you got ace cards in a squadron box occasionally or not. Uh, so yeah, expansions packs are certainly a good source. If you, if you have a collection of aircraft and you don't have the expansion pack, you're probably doing it wrong. So, you know, (laughs) I think we're always clamoring to warlord to come up with some great idea for a way to put out cards. Cause I think the way for us to, to get all the cards at once, rather than trying to figure out which ones are in which expansion packs. Yeah. It's so, you know, I I've got a bunch of cards, but I've purchased a bunch of, expansion packs and a bunch of squadron boxes here and there but it wasn't i didn't really know what i didn't have until we all got together with all it just like threw all of our crazy cards on the table like hey wait i got extra these what do you have and then between the three or four of us we ended up you know getting a fair amount of everything because a bunch of us had extras and some didn't have any well i still think there's some that weren't put out until uh until airstrike like storm clouds i don't i don't think that one is in any of the boxes uh but we'll have to see. Yeah, I, th- I think there's some that are coming out, some new ones we haven't seen, some new theater cards that are coming out with Midway, right? Mm, there's some from Midway and some Italian ones. All right. Uh, all yeah. Right. So so there's some cool ones. I, I will say that some of that is always fraught with peril because if we haven't seen them in the ready room and they, they, they're theater cards uh, that haven't been tried, I think there's one that I've seen already that has a, a little bit of an unbalancing and it's, it's kind of like numbers in that way uh, that it, it's one of those things you're like, man, that's really cool. That's really thematic. And that's really going to unbalance a competitive game if I allow it. But you know that once again, this, this game isn't about building a competitive circuit. It's about sitting down, having fun, beer and pretzels uh, and, and making a story to the game that you're playing. There's another source for cards. Uh, The PDF for Sandstorm has some cards, actually has some aircraft cards and some uh, equipment cards in there as well. So those are kind of interesting. I think um, Bomb Shackles might be in. Right, in, uh, Bomb Shackles is in there. And I can't remember if Torpedo Shackles is or not. I know we've got it on the 
lead pursuit site, but uh, that's another important one to, to have for airstrike. Yeah, the the unofficial cards on a lead pursuit podcast page, we have uh, aces, of course, that we've researched and put together, ace cards, and uh, some equipment cards that I've already mentioned. Uh, Blood Red Skies Ready Room is a good source because you can go to the file section there and find cards as well. So that's that's about all I can think of when it comes. Now, you know, we didn't even talk about aircraft cards. I mean, really, our whole discussion has been doctrine cards, trait cards, theater cards, equipment cards, a little talk about ace cards. But just the squadron cards, the aircraft themselves are pretty fun to look into and there's a lot of those in all those places i mentioned as well yeah well and i once again have to kiss martin wilson's ass here publicly uh we've gone from having i think you know probably 16 aircraft cards in the lead pursuit uh archive there too i have no idea how many we have i i have a file folder full of them now um but it's awesome to have somebody in the community who has devoted the time to going out there and generating these cards uh, so that we can store them somewhere and that we can we can find them, which unfortunately Facebook seems to just hate giving organization to files. Uh, but it's it's pretty cool for us to be able to have a lot of rare aircraft types or just unreleased aircraft types and have those cards out there for everybody in the community to play with. Is there a um, a Do three three five card out there now? <laughs> there is not because people would be losing their mind. I I. Uh, I almost made the imperious decision to tell uh, Martin what stats to put on there. But as the uh, discussion wound deeper and deeper into the lower pits of hell, uh, <laughs> I just wanted nothing to be nothing. I didn't want to be associated with anything that came out of that discussion. That's so, funny. Uh, everybody it, started losing their mind and it just went south. Which, it started innocently enough. It was just a cool video. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to blame you. You're the you're the guy that stirred the pot on that. So you, oh, you know, you're the no. one that Andy has to get mad at. He probably he probably thinks it was me. He's probably like Doug screwing things up again. Well, I uh, didn't I didn't know it would be so incendiary. You know, I, you know. I just thought it was a cool video of a neat looking airplane. Yeah. yeah little did you know. <laughs> yeah. It was a discussion about traits and the validity of even the discussion in the first place after a while. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. And, and this is something I'm going to say. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to weigh in on who's right, who's wrong, who hurt, whose feelings, uh, anything like that. Um, I'm going to go back and I'm going to beat people over the head with a stick of two things. One, this is a goddamn beer and pretzels game. If you are going to go get so bent out of shape about which airplane is better than which other airplane, go fucking play check your six or something else because that's not this game. <laughs> now, we can argue about, you know, are the stats right? Are, you know, are they close or not? At the end of the day, this is a beer and pretzels game. Let's have fun. And the second part of it is generally the most vocal people know the least. And that is the internet writ large. And if I see one more person quoting aircraft performance or documents that they have not read, <laughs> that they simply say, hey, here's some great performance diagrams and, and I think it means that the aircraft X is better than Y, learn how to read the diagrams. They're not intuitive. Some of us went to school for more than a year to figure it out. <laughs> um, there, There's... Man, every every airplane that was flown had people that said it was the best airplane ever, and then it had you know pilots from the same country or from countries that exploited that said it was the worst airplane ever. I I was going through reading an exploitation of the Me One Sixty Three today, and it was hilarious um, because it was a test pilot, and they never flew it with the engines on. So yes, they never turned on the rockets, they never fired it, they dropped it from behind a B twenty nine. And to read the test report was really hilarious because on, on it was one of those accounts that I realized most of our assumptions about what this airplane really was able to do were from a handful of people who flew it and one test flight <laughs> of this thing unpowered. Uh, so uh, it's kind of fascinating. People, people get bent out of shape about stuff on the ready room and we just need to chill out. Chill out and remember it's a game, a beer and pretzels game that's a... Not capital H historical game. It's a lowercase h historical. It's meant to have a flavor of history. So 
I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean to say those graphs and those charts with the lines and that, are those like important when you're looking at performance? Or? Yeah. And do they oh. have to be normalized against, you know, multiple aircraft? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I can't take one, one chart in a vacuum. It's weird how that works. Maybe there was some smart guy named Boyd who made the, you know, EM diagram to, to account for that. I don't know. Maybe I learned that somewhere in 20 years of flying fighters. <laughs> Thanks for pushing on that one. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> So you anyway. say, are you saying we can't have a TA-183 card? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, exactly. We can have any card we want. Uh, we just have to have people stop losing their minds over it. But that's all right. I have been on my soapbox. Uh, Brett, thanks for talking through all the tactics, and thanks for uh, really breaking down the doctrine cards and equipment cards and theater cards this time. Uh, anything that you want to close with? Uh, just take a look at, I'd say if, if you're new to the game and you're messing around with cards, grab, grab the uh, trait cards that you have for your collection and find a list somewhere, maybe in the files or something, of the doctrine cards and find out which ones pair with those traits and read what they do and see if you can think of ways to make that happen and make those things work. You might find that you could... Um, you kind of develop a, a way, a game, a way of playing the game with your collection that might be sort of unique to you. You know, you might find, oh, wow, with this combination, I could do this. And that turns in to like a whole style of play. Awesome. In other words, take your time and learn your forces. Steve, as the new guy, the master of laser cut acrylic and foam, anything, any parting shots? Uh, yeah, if anybody is looking to try out some of these new tactics, uh, December 5th in sunny, tropical, northern winter New Jersey. Uh, hopefully we'll be having a small little tournament there. So uh, Mythico Studios, December 5th, northern New Jersey. If you're not doing anything, come on out and uh, hopefully we can get some games in before everything gets locked down too tight. Absolutely. And you can find the sign up. You can either go to the Lead Pursuit website and we have a link to Mythicos or you can go straight to their website and you will see their pitch for the tournament. Go sign up, get your name in there, and we will figure out uh, what we're doing on that day because I'm not going to be running. It's all Steve. So we'll be using the standard U.S. rules, uh, U.S. tournament rules, but obviously uh, maps and all that will be up to how it's set up on game day. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate your time. I want to remind everyone, uh, if you hated this episode, if you think we're off base, if you think we don't know what we're talking about, go out there and leave us some feedback. So you can either go straight to the Lead Pursuit website, click on our contact form. You can talk to us on social media. You can give us the finger on Instagram if you want to. Uh, or you can jump into the ready room and just MF us to all of your friends. Tell everybody how stupid you are. But that's all right. We want to hear from you because these episodes that we do for tactics, that we do for gameplay, are taken directly from questions that are either asked in the ready room or questions that are asked to us uh, when we're demoing games or as we're just BSing about what it's So thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast. We look forward to hearing you.